I encourage you to take out your Bible, opening once again to John's Gospel, chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3, we'll be spending our time this morning looking at verses 19 through 21. We've spent the past several weeks now, past four, five, six weeks, in this uh, John chapter 3 chapter of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Uh, Like J.C. Ryle said in that initial uh, sermon we preached on John chapter 3, there are certain things, you don't have to know certain things uh, to be a Christian, but there are, you don't have to know everything to be a Christian, but there are certain things you must know that without these things, you simply cannot be a Christian. And John chapter 3 is part of that, is included in those things you must know and you must understand in order to be a Christian and have place in the kingdom of God. And so we've been following Jesus' dialogue with that great religious leader, Nicodemus, and how Jesus pointed right at him and just said, you must be born again. Uh, None of your religious efforts, none of your teaching, nothing you've done contributes to your salvation. You need to be born again from above by God. The new birth, the new covenant, regeneration, the work of God in the soul of man. Salvation is not what you do, Nicodemus. Covenant Life Church, salvation is not anything you do. It is the work of God in the soul of man. And so we've been following that, and we we came to John 3.16, which may have surprised some of us to understand that's in the context of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And there we saw what the Father has done in order to bring about the new birth in the life of a soul. We spent a couple weeks just relearning John 3.16, and that it's not about you. It's not about me. John 3.16 is not a proof text for arguing for whosoever will can be saved. John 3.16 is about God. The God who brings about the new birth, who amazingly, mercifully, surprisingly so loved the world. Not the people loved the world, but a, a world that was in rebellion against Him, that hated Him. A bad place. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's just reinforcing the message that Jesus was telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, it's not anything you do. Salvation is not your work. You don't make any contribution to it. Christ does it all because I sent Him to do this. This is our plan of salvation. You do nothing. Christ has done all. Just believe. There's nothing to be done. And even still, now as we come to John chapter 3, verses 17, 18, 19, and 21, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking John 3, 16, and he's laying out, now here's exactly how Christ accomplishes so great a salvation through his life, through his death, and his resurrection. Oh, what a wonderful salvation all by the mercy of God, by the grace of God. In spite of you, in spite of me, God has loved because He loves, because it's His character and attributes, and sent His Son. Last week we looked at verses 17 and 18 in a message entitled, Christ, the hope or hopelessness of every man. And this morning we continue by looking at verses 19 through 21 in part two of this message, 
the hope or hopelessness of every man. That is who Christ Jesus is. You know, such a wonderful salvation has been laid out in John chapter 3. All of God, not of man. All of God through His Son, Jesus. The question ought to be asked, who would reject such a great salvation? Who in their right mind would reject such a wonderful salvation? Why would anyone reject this love of God for a world that hates Him so much so that He sent His Son to live, die, <coughs> excuse me, and rise from the dead for us? Wouldn't you think that everyone on this bad place that's going to receive God's judgment, wouldn't you think that everyone would eagerly grab hold of this great salvation? Salvation from the judgment of God? Why would anyone reject so great an offer? Why would someone continue heading down the path of eternal destruction when such a great salvation from it has been provided? Well, that's what verses 19 through 21 are about. Let's look at it together. John chapter 3, verse 19. <clears throat> and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that, and this is important, it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again this morning in prayer because we're needy. Because you are not. You are able. You are self-sufficient. You don't need anything from us, but you have availed yourself to us. And you are sufficient for our every need. So, Father, we turn to you today. And we continue to cry out, Father, show us your glory. Show us the God that you are. Teach us you. Teach us your ways. And in doing so, also show us ourselves. We won't delight in what we see. When we look at you and then look at ourselves, we, we don't have anything to boast in. But Lord, we also ask you to show us Christ. Show us his beauty, his majesty, his authority. And teach us, Father, his words. Help us to take what is said here and to consider our lives in light of it. Help us to consider our daily choices. Help us to consider our daily affections. Help us to think about what it is we love, even here this morning. It's sobering to be reminded, John chapter 2, 24 and 25, Lord, that you are looking into our hearts. How much we're seeking you and worshiping you. Will you help us this morning? To the soul here that's troubled, that's struggling, that maybe, like Nicodemus, has a profession of faith, but their life just doesn't match up to what Jesus is saying, what 
you, Father, produce and a soul does, Lord, would you help bring clarity this day? And if we find, Father, that we are living in darkness, would you grant grace to see the light, to see Christ, and to be so captivated by him that darkness no longer has control over us? Lord, the things we're looking at today are bigger than us. There's no 12-step program. There's no three-point outline that can help us. Only Christ. Show us Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we began by asking, in light of such a great salvation that's been provided to us by God to a world that hates Him through Jesus Christ, why would anyone reject and rebel against this Christ? Well, in verses 19 through 20, we're given the reason why. Then the first, first point of the message this morning, the reason for unbelief. Look at verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 19. The verse begins, verse 19, and this is the judgment. Now, let's pause right there for just a minute. Because you read, and this is the judgment, you kind of think final judgment, right? You immediately begin to think about the judgment of God where he comes and executes final judgment. That's not what's taking place here. What he's talking about here is he's, he's using the idea of how God's judgment works. God will bring about final judgment, but there's a reason why. There's an explanation. There's a process that's in place. And because of this, then final judgment will come. And that's what he's pointing to here. When he begins verse 19, and this is the judgment, he's talking about here, this is an explanation of why God in the final analysis does bring final judgment. Here's what's been happening to bring this about. And the first thing you need to know about this process, verse 19 says, and this is the judgment. Here's the first thing you need to know. The light has come into the world. So the process of God's judgment on a people, on a person, begins with this fact. The light has come into the world. Now, throughout Scripture, the light is used symbolically in various ways, two main ways. The first way is it refers to God's holiness. God's absolute, transcendent holiness, one of a kindness. And then the opposite of God is light, God is holy, is darkness, right? And that's how... Um, Satan and his domain of the world is presented. God is light, the world is darkness. God is light, Satan is darkness. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, God dwells in unapproachable light, unapproachable holiness. And 1 John 1, 5, the apostle declares, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We can read in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's own exhortation to the church at Ephesus, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Who's them? Darkness. For you were formerly darkness, but now, church, now you're light. And you live in light, the light of the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You hear the contrast there between God and the world, God and Satan. The church as a reflection of God's holiness, God's people, and the world around them. So the light absolutely refer, refers to God's holiness. But secondly, light in the Bible also symbolizes spiritual illumination. Spiritual illumination. Understanding. Spiritual understanding. The kind of understanding you get when you're born again. Born from above. In the new birth. Darkness 
on the other hand, refers to the natural man. We read in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's own explanation of his own ministry. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, Christ is the light. He is the glory of God, the holiness of God. But there's a world that lives in darkness that doesn't have the spiritual understanding of who Christ is. They just see a man. They don't see the God-man. They don't see his holiness. They don't see his beauty. They don't see his transcendent majesty. And they are veiled to the very, their eyes are veiled. They're spiritually blinded to the message that Paul is preaching about look to Jesus, the beauty of Christ, the ma- look to Christ and Christ alone. Because their eyes are blinded in darkness by the world and by Satan. God's light, His holiness, spiritual illumination of who He is, is given to us primarily through the Word. God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's not just cool words. That's intended to contrast darkness. And what does this book, which is a lamp and a light, reveal to us? A person. Jesus Christ. Whether you're in Genesis, whether you're in Ruth, whether you're in John's Gospel, the book of Psalms, Hebrews, Revelation. Everything in here is pointing to a person. You get down to it, it's a person. Thy word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path because it walks me into the presence of Christ. This book is not about you. You don't come to this book looking for self-help. Except for Christ is the help you need. You don't come to this book trying to find yourself. You will find yourself, but you're always the bad person in this book. You're always the Pharisee. I'm always the Pharisee. I'm always the pagan. Christ is the hero. And John is writing here, light in John's gospel, is referring to Jesus. And he's already said this in John's chapter 1, verse 9, the true light has come into the world, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In John chapter 8, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That should not. Do you hear something a little bit more objective, something The work of the Father produces this in the child of God, and this person will not walk in the darkness because I'm light. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The point here, as we look at verse 19, this is the judgment. This is the process of judgment. This is where what has happened that brings about judgment. It begins with the light has come into the world. And the point is Christ has come into the world. Christ is the light. Christ is the revelation of God's holiness. A spiritual illumination points us to Jesus Christ. That's what verse 19 says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And now pause right there. There's two possible responses to that light. The first one comes next in verse 19. The light has come into the world, 
and people loved the darkness rather than the light. And right there is the answer to the question we began with. Why would someone reject so great of a salvation? Why would somebody reject Christ? Answer, verse 19, because they love the darkness rather than the light. Who's the light in John's gospel? Jesus. So the reason that people reject Christ is because their hearts are captivated, entranced by, enchanted by, taken by the darkness. And it's not even like a cold. They love the darkness. They would have it no other way. You give them the choice. You can have Christ or continue to live in the darkness which you love every time. They're going to say, I choose the darkness. Because you're going to choose that which you love. Darkness here refers to man's sinful state. Paul writes in Ephesians, those who don't believe walk in darkness. So to be in darkness, to love darkness, is to love sin. So let's just be very clear. Why doesn't a person accept so great a salvation that's been provided by God's grace to them? Answer, they love their sin. They love their sin. Unbelief is not a matter of the mind. I'm a fan of apologetics. I'm all for apologetics. It is a, a critical element of, I think, um, gospel proclamation. I think there is a right place for defending the faith, for mentally addressing some of the, the, the challenges, the questions that come about, and providing biblical answers, a biblical defense of the faith to those answers. But apologetics is not the problem. The problem does not begin in the mind. The root issue here is a heart. A heart that loves sin. A heart that treasures sin. A heart that cherishes sin. A heart that would prefer, even if their mind is convinced to do something else, their heart is just, I'm just enslaved to what I love. I know it makes no sense I know it's, it's not the logical thing to do, but it's what my heart loves. How many times have we heard that? More fundamental than right thinking is a heart. The affections of a heart. And this is the reason why anyone would reject so great of a salvation in Christ Jesus. It's because they don't want Him. They love their darkness. They love their sin. funny thing just in passing the people love their darkness verse 19 same word love there is the same word for love in John 3 16 for God so loved the world and we talked about how massive that is and it's not, love there is not so much a oh I love you fuzzy fuzzy warm fuzzy but it's a commitment to a devotion to a covenant that I've made out of my devotion to myself, I'm, I'm covenanting to you. Same idea here with love for the darkness, love for sin, love for the world. It's not so much a warm fuzzy, oh, I just love my sin so much, like it's a little pet. <laughs> but rather, it's a conviction and an affection of the heart. 
I'm committed to my sin. And again, keep going in verse 19 because we're looking at a process of judgment, right? Verse 19, this is the judgment. And here's the pro- The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. But what comes next? Because their works were evil. Here, sin is called evil. There's nothing new here. I don't think there's anything we didn't already know. But here, Jesus is calling sin evil. Why is sin evil? Why is sin the most evil thing in the world? Because sin is opposed to God. It doesn't get more evil than that. It's treason against God. It's rebellion against His his holiness. It's, it's, It's treason against His sovereignty. It's treating God as though He were dead, as though He doesn't exist. That's just pure evil. And sinners are doers of evil. Sin is what sinners do. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. What does it mean to be hostile? I hate Him. I'm at war with Him. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. By definition, sinners, they have set their minds not on God, but on the flesh. And they love their sin. And they are captivated by their sin. And they will not give their sin up. They will not. And it gets worse. They love their sin. They won't give up their sin. As evil as it is, they keep craving more sin. But what does verse 20 say? There's even more to it. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. So not only do they love the darkness and they love their sin and they love the evil, they love living apart from God. They love treating God as though He's dead. They love, as evil as it is, they love it. But not only do they love the darkness of sin, they also hate the righteousness. They hate it. This brings up an interesting point that you've probably spent some time thinking about in the past. Verse 20, everyone who does wicked things, and that's who? Everybody. Hates the light. We live in a day today, and I, I do understand our risk ruffling some feathers here, but you're going to have to wrestle with verse 20. We live in a day today where we almost think that people are neutral with regards to God in Christ. You know? And we often see this with young children that, well, they haven't reached an age yet where they're able to think about things. They are neutral towards God. I mean, they're not, they're not these evil ones Paul is talking about here. I mean, that's, let them get, get a little, little, little life under them before we put them into that category. I mean, that, there, there's a, a category of, of human that for whatever reason, maybe age, maybe circumstance of life, maybe some kind of handicap or something, well, they're kind of neutral for the time being. That does not exist. No one is neutral toward God. Every soul, because of Genesis chapter 3, loves the darkness. 
From the moment of conception, we love the darkness. We love sin. We love evil. We hate God. Every one of us. No one is just kind of floating about waiting to make a decision on whether they love or hate God. From the moment of conception, every human being despises God, hates the light. It's who we are. It's the residual effects of Genesis chapter 3, the curse of, the, of sin against the law. No one is morally neutral with regard to God. Therefore, no one will choose the light when given the option. Why? Because of everything that's come before it. Because they love their sin. They love their darkness and they hate God. So you come and present God so loved the world that he gave his son. Who's going to select that? Nobody. Because they hate God. They hate the light. And they love and cherish and treasure their sin. Everyone who does wicked things, verse 20 says, Jesus says, hates the light. We hate God. We, by nature, hate Jesus. We despise it. Why? Let's keep going. Why? We, you see, all we're doing here is, is, is just building on here. This is the process of why God's judgment comes. Because, verse 19, just follow the track. The light has come, and the world and the people love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest his deed should be exposed. If one who loves their sin comes to the light, what happens when you bring what happens in the darkness into the light? It's no longer covered, is it? It's no longer private. It's now exposed. And someone who loves the darkness and loves their sin, does that person have any interest in coming to the light? So that which they love and cherish and treasure might be exposed? No. If they come to the light, their sin will be seen for what it is. Their, the sinfulness of their sin, the evil of their deeds will be exposed. So every sinner lives with this kind of Fear, this dread, I love my sin. But I'm not really just going to promote it out to the world. So I do it in private. So I go into hiding in secret. To be exposed, what happens? To experience shame and conviction. Well, I love my sin. I'm not interested in those things. Now, I think a, a, a right question to ask, well, you say that sinners love their sin and don't want to be exposed, but we live in a day today where people sure are pretty proud in public with their sin. So how do you account for that? I mean, people today don't necessarily seem to be hiding their hatred for God and their desire to do so. I mean, what, what's this about? Well, very simply, they're, not, they're going public. They're not coming into the light of Jesus Christ with those things. They're coming into uh, public in the world. And even that's a form of darkness. Because if you can surround yourself with like-minded people, is that not a cover for your sin? 
If you can surround yourself with other company of sinners who don't judge your sin like God does, well, then you feel better about your sin. Your sin isn't exposed as sinful in a company of other like-minded people. That's what we see happening today. As our culture grows increasingly to love and parade and applaud sin, well, man's sin is more public than it's ever been, but that's not the same thing he's talking about here, being exposed by the light of Christ. That's just simply a culture now, the culture becomes a shroud of darkness. You're not bringing it before God, you're not bringing it before Christ, but you don't feel bad about it, you don't feel shamed by it, because you have found a dark cover just in a public setting. Does that make sense? So even that's not contradicting what Jesus says here. What Jesus is saying, a sinner doesn't want his sin brought to light before Almighty God. Before other sinners, I mean, hey, I feel better about it when I do it with them. If I can find other people who agree with me, sometimes it feels like that's strengthening what I love, the case for what I love. But here's the point that Jesus is making. The light of Jesus has come. Christ has come into the world. And the light of God's holiness shines through Christ in his public ministry. It continues to shine today through the word of God, through the church of Jesus Christ. And when the light of Christ is proclaimed, when it shines, there's only two possible options. One is, I mean, they could be convicted and repent of their sin. But what we're seeing here in verses 19, 20, and 21, or 19 and 20, is someone who is driven further into darkness, deeper into despair. Just all out, avoid the light altogether. Have no interest in Christ. Don't want Christ. Now we can drive this home a little more practically, you probably have family members or friends who today walk in unbelief. But if you trace back their lives, the story of their lives, and watch how it unfolds, it's not uncommon to see those are the very people who grew up in church. Sometimes those are the very people who made a confession of faith, were baptized into the life of the church, were very active in children's ministry and youth ministry growing up. And then at some point in their life, they became disinterested in the things of God, cold toward the things of God. At some point, they didn't talk about God anymore. At some point, they didn't spend time in God's Word anymore. Maybe their church attendance began to be more and more sporadic. And in their daily lives, they live more and more just for the pleasures of the world. What's happened? What's happened to that individual? Answer. John 3, 19 and 20. The course of the natural work of the natural man has taken place. What Jesus has said to Nicodemus is the context for what Jesus is saying here. Your religious background, your works, your efforts, your religious heritage, your religious family, your church attendance, your being the preacher in the church, none of that merits anything with God. 
You must be born again, born from above. Anybody, any natural man for a season of life can do good and right things. But what did Jesus say? Jesus 2, 23, 24, 25, I'm looking at the heart. There were many in, in, who followed Jesus who gave themselves to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? I do not give myself to them because I know what's in their hearts. There's many of our friends and families, maybe some of us who grew up, we gave ourselves to Jesus. And we look at our lives today or the look of, uh, lives of those others today, and we look at, man, they're so distant. Jesus didn't give himself to them, born from above. And what we see in their life today is the natural, unregenerate fruit of an unregenerate man, woman, or child, who has always loved the darkness, even though they went to church who's always cherished sin more than Christ, even though they said with their lips they love Jesus. Who's always been captivated by the world, even though they went through a process of being baptized where they presented themselves of having died to the world and living unto Christ. You can go through all those motions. But at the core of the unregenerate man is this hatred of God. This hatred of Christ. And this love for darkness. That's one response to the love of God in giving His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Christ came and fulfilled that work in verses 17 and 18 that we looked at last week. So who, why would anyone not accept so great a salvation? Answer. Because they love their darkness. They love their sin. They cherish it. They do not love Christ. Well, thankfully, that's but one of two responses. We said there are two responses to the love of God in giving His Son, Jesus. The first is a rejection of Christ in verses 19 and 20, because of love for the world. But verse 21, we see the second point of the message, the reason for belief. All right, the first part, the reason for unbelief in verses uh, 19 and, and 20, but now in verse 21, we find the reason for belief. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Now, this text is not about how somebody goes from darkness to light, how someone goes from unbelief to belief. This verse describes someone who already does believe in Jesus and how that person lives. This is not a process of how to go from darkness and light. This is describing verse 21. This is a person who already has confessed and repented of love for sin and the world and darkness and professed a greater love for Christ. And now this is what that kind of love produces. Follow me? This is the reason for belief. Whoever believes in Jesus, the text says, does what is true and continues to come to the light. This is, this is what someone who loves Jesus does. So to profess to love Jesus and not do these things makes one what? Not a true lover of Christ, a hypocrite. This is very, very helpful in our day today. 
where it's so easy to profess love for Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus, Jesus says in verse 21, does what is true and comes to the light. The verbs here are very important. They are present tense, which indicates not just that it's happening now, but it indicates ongoing activity. In the Greek, that's what tense does. Tense, the tense of verbs reveals a kind of action, not the timing of action like they do in English, past, present, future. Kind of action, and present tense means ongoing action. So go back and look at what the one who loves Jesus does, does what is true continually. Desires to act faithfully continually. Desires to act honorably continually. Desires to do what is true in God's sight continually. And comes to the light continually. Who's the light? Jesus. What does it mean to come to the light continually? There's a relationship there. There's a, there's a, 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 a communion there, a fellowship there. And how do you commune with the light? Because the light is at the right hand of the Father right these days. It's through this right here. The Word of Christ. Continually. This is what one who loves Jesus does. He comes to Jesus continually. This is what one who claims to love Jesus does. They are a doer continually of the truth. Making them also one who has no reason to hide in the darkness. They come continually to the light, to Christ, because there's nothing I fear. I have no dread. I have no fear. I have no shame of being exposed like the sinner who loves his sin does. In fact, believers are so diligent to come to the light continually Why? What does verse 21 say? So that what? It may be seen clearly that his deeds have been carried out in God. The believer wants his works to be exposed for what they are. Works that God has done in me. Works that glorify God. I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. The sin that brought me joy and peace had led me to the grave. But I beheld God's love displayed in Christ. He suffered in my place. He bore the wrath for me. And now all I know is grace. So listen, I'm not perfect, but I come continually to Him. Why? Because He's done this. He has brought this change in me. He has brought me out of the light into the darkness to see Christ. And know I come to Christ. I'm not perfect, but He is. And He has done for me what I can't do for myself. And I'm not afraid to come to the light. I don't dread it. Because God has done this. 
God has taken care of my sin problem. He has paid the price for it. I come over and over and over and over. That's why we say that one of the attributes or aspects of the Christian life is that repentance is a way of life. Repentance isn't a bad word. We don't slap ourselves on the wrist. Oh my goodness, I have to repent tonight. If you're not repenting at the end of the night, there's something terribly wrong. You have a shallow view of the holiness of God and too limited of a view of your sin against that God. We come to the light continually, which is Jesus Christ, God's gift to us for the salvation of our sins, to prove not how great we are, but to prove to His glory all my deeds, all that I am, is carried out in God by His grace and for His glory. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructed his followers, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works. Now, if you're writing this text, so that they may see your good works and give glory to you would make sense. But that's not what the text says. Let your light so shine before others so that they say, may see your good works and give glory to who? And give glory to the Father who's in heaven. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That it may be clearly seen that your deeds are not to your glory. You haven't done anything. You've been born again from above by God. Your deeds have been carried out in God, by God, for God, to his glory. Here's some marks of a true believer. Not to say that on day one of a person's conversion that they perfectly think this way, but there should be a growing desire this way. We who trust in Christ and who love Him and who seek to do His will, we don't want the credit. We live in a day-to-day, -day, and I mean, every one of us struggle with it when we do something. We would like to be acknowledged. We would like to get credit. But for the true believer who understands the new birth, who has been, we've been nicodemus let me use that as a verb, everything we've ever done has been kicked out from and thrown as far as the east is from the west. It, it doesn't merit anything. You must be born again, born from above. Christ has done all. He is just, he, look to Jesus. Look to him. Keep looking until you believe he is all, he has done all. Everything you are is in God through Christ. When we are Nicodemus, <laughs> then why in the world would we turn the spotlight on us anyway? The spotlight has to go on God. It has to go on Christ. We walk in the light because we love Christ. We've been given a heart to love Him, right? That's the work of God in the soul of man. Why do we now love Christ and hate the darkness when we once loved the darkness and hated Christ. I didn't, I didn't skip over that in this message. We've hit that numerous times in John chapter 1. How does one go from loving the darkness and hating Christ to hating the darkness and loving Christ? It's the work of God. He gets the glory. God gets the credit because all that we are has been carried out in Him. 
in verse 21, it doesn't come till the end of the text, but in the Greek, God is in the emphatic position in verse 21, as it should be with all of the context of John chapter 3. This is about God and for his glory, his work in the life of an individual. So the reason for our belief is not because we were neutral and on a good day someone brought the gospel and we made the right decision. I've decided to follow Jesus. You would never make that decision. Why? Jesus already said, you love and I love darkness. I love my sin. My decision will always be sin. Always. Every time. The reason for our belief is not because we were neutral and just got caught on a good day or that the person who came to us just, they framed things in a way I'd never heard before and it just made sense to me today. Now, God may have used something there, but that's not what gets the credit. The only reason that we're here today as those who hate the darkness and love Christ is the grace of God. We believe and love Christ and now hate sin and darkness and we're growing progressively to love Him more and hate darkness more is because that's a gift that God has given to us. So as Paul writes, by grace you've been saved through faith, through belief, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So no one can boast. Do you hear the echo of verse 21 there? Not of your works so that you can't boast. Verse 21, Jesus says, so that it may be clear that all these things are accomplished in God. He gets the glory. So why don't sinners believe in Jesus? The answer from this passage is because they love their sin. They love evil. They love darkness. So then why does anyone believe in Jesus? Not because we're better. The answer is the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God has given us a gift of belief to see Christ, to bring our sin, to confess it, to repent it at the foot of the cross, that our guilt may roll off our backs into an eternal grave and so that we might have forever a right standing with God. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. If we don't believe, the problem's ours. If we do believe, God gets all the glory. If I don't believe, it's my fault. If I do believe, it's the grace of God for the glory of God. This has implications for our very lives our ministry. What is it you're treasuring this morning? As you look at your life, keep in mind what Jesus says in John 2, 23 through 25. He's looking at your heart and mind. If we're treasuring, if we love the world more than Christ, we're here this morning, but Christ knows. So what do we do? If we find in our hearts that there's a greater love for the world and for sin and for evil than there is for Christ, what do we do? Well, you don't try Nicodemus' methods by trying to work your way or do the right series of things. Why not cry out to God for your glory? Would you accomplish in me what I can't accomplish myself? And you plead with God. 
And the very fact that you're here this morning and you're hearing these things is a great indication that God is already at work in your soul. This has implications not only for our individual lives, but for ministry, evangelism, and discipleship. The success of the gospel is not dependent upon you or I. Now, we are ambassadors of Christ, Paul says, to be faithful. But ours is not to sit back and strategize, hmm, what, what can I do to make this person, to convince them of this great salvation? Friends, you're going to spend waste a lot of time. Sinners love their sin. And you and I are not going to convince them otherwise. There's only one thing that you can possibly present to somebody that God will use to change that heart. And that is God, Christ. You give them God. And you let God do His work. You shine the light of Christ through your life, through your words, through your actions. When you sit down with an individual and you present Christ in his beauty and majesty, open Bible, we would be fools to try to persuade someone to the Christian life with anything other than Christ. How do you overcome love for the world? You've got to give a greater love. You've got to show a greater beauty. And that's what Christ is. What are you hoping in this morning? What are you treasuring? What are you loving? Oh, I pray it's Christ. I pray that we can glorify the work of God in us and say it is Christ. But we don't take satisfaction in that alone, Lord. There's more. There's more joy. There's more fullness in Christ. Continue to grow. Show us the glory of Christ. Teach us. Grow us. Conform us to the likeness of Jesus. Make that your